says there in Isaiah 25, verse 9, And it shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for Him, and He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for Him. We will be glad and rejoice in His salvation. For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest, and Moab shall be trodden down under Him, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. And He shall spread forth His hand in the midst of of them, and he that smiteth uh, spreadeth forth his hand to swim, and he shall bring down their pride together with the spoils of their hand. And the fortress of the high fort of thy of thy walls shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust. Well, we're picking up from our Bible study last week, and we're going to review where we um, what we covered last week quickly, and then jump right in. To verses 9 through 12. The title of the Bible study is this The Lord will preserve his people. Uh, the Lord will preserve his people. We are waiting. We're in a waiting and a holding pattern for Jesus to come back. When we came back from Peru, we flew out of Houston uh, coming into Newark Airport, and there was a nasty storm brewing over Newark, and they had us circling over Baltimore and then circling over Harrisburg, PA, waiting for the storm to clear so they could bring us on in for a landing. We were in a holding pattern. It sort of feels like we're in a holding pattern right now, right now, not to land at an airport, but to take off and go to heaven. Amen? And it's going to be a great day when that day comes. But we're going to look at that idea of the Lord preserving His people and uh, we're going to look at it both here in Isaiah 25 and all throughout the New Testament and understand this, uh, these verses through that tonight. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that you're a God who we can put our reliance on. We can trust. We know that you are looking out for us and watching over us. And uh, Lord, as David said in the book of Psalm, you, you put your angels around us to uh, watch, uh, watch care of us and take care of us. And we're thankful for that, God. And we look forward to the day where... Uh, we, our salvation is realized in heaven. Our salvation is realized with King Jesus being on earth and us ruling and reigning with him. As we look at these truths and these concepts tonight, help us to understand them. And then, Lord, help us to be encouraged by them. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Okay. So, uh, I began last week by laying out for you a timeline of end-time events. Let me just quickly run back over that with very little comment. Revelation 4, we find the church age coming to an end. And in Revelation 4, verse 1, the rapture occurs. The rapture occurs, Revelation 4, verse 1. And by the way, the Revelation 1, 2, and 3 are written to the church. Revelation 4, the rapture happens or the events uh, that that. Uh, that surround the rapture, the idea of the rapture happens and you never see or hear from the church anymore uh, in the rest of the book, at least throughout the tribulation. Uh, you just don't see them on earth anymore. The church era is over. So Revelation 4, the chapter, uh, church age ends, uh, uh, rapture occurs. Revelation chapter number 6, the tribulation begins. Wrath of God is poured out on the world. Revelation chapter 7, you have 12,000 from each Jewish tribe, uh, in total 144,000 Jewish converts that become missionaries and go all over the globe and preach the gospel to every Jew, Gentile alike, and there's a revival that takes place, and then you have a whole bunch of those that get saved, they get martyred by the Antichrist, and we find them in the end of chapter 7 in the presence of God, worshiping and praising God. Matthew chapter 24, we find the teaching of Jesus, and uh, we find that the Antichrist is going to persecute the Jews following the three-and-a-half-year mark. Uh, the three-and-a-half-year mark, the half-week or the three-and-a-half-year mark is where the Antichrist goes into the temple and he sits on David's throne and he declares himself to be the Christ. He declares himself to be the Chosen One, the Messiah. He performs an abominable act in the temple. The Jews desolate the temple and they go into hiding because they know what's coming. Uh, Daniel and Jesus refer to this as the abomination of desolation. And so the three and a half year mark is where that happens. The Jews go into hiding and a persecution 
of the Jews begins. Revelation 19, we see, and we'll be looking at this passage tonight, we see King Jesus coming back on a white horse. He defeats the enemy, he judges the world, and he sets up his earthly kingdom. And so when we get to Isaiah chapter number 25... We're, we're arriving at a chapter that takes place right after Revelation 19 and the battle of Megiddo and the judging of the nations of the world and the setting up of the uh, millennial reign of Christ. Now listen, it's important you understand the concept of the millennial reign of Christ because it is talked about over and over and over again in the major prophets and the minor prophets. It's referred to as the day of the Lord. Uh, oftentimes you, you, you'll read the phrase a thousand years, uh, uh, the, the reign of Christ and the reign of the Messiah. And so you get this idea and this is actually going to take place. This is going to take place right here on this earth, right here in our Jerusalem. Jesus will sit on David's throne and he will rule and reign in this earth um, for a thousand years before it's destroyed and a new heaven and a new earth take place. So we arrive at Isaiah 25 and Isaiah 25 is a song. It is a song. It is a Hebrew song with three stanzas. All right. And uh, I had you do this last week. Let's do it again real quick for review. Um, How many of you, again, participate here? How many of you have paragraph markers in your Bible, paragraph markers in your Bible. Look down. You'll know if you do because right before verse number 6 where you see the word and, there would be a paragraph marker. How many of you have a paragraph marker next to verse 6? Okay, And there's another one found right by verse 9. You see that there? Right by verse 9. If your Bible doesn't have paragraph markers, it's okay to use the Bible you have. Let me encourage you to get a Bible with paragraph markers. I said this last week. It bears repeating. The chapter and verse dividings were not originally given to the authors of the Bible. It was not given when the Bible was inspired. Those were added later as an indexing system for us. And I'm all for it. I love it. I use it. But the paragraph markers were given by God. And so when you, uh, when you look at and you're studying a passage to get proper context or proper division, knowing where those paragraph markers are really helps you in Bible study. So if you don't have a Bible with paragraph markers, and you want to study your Bible, I would say it is imperative that you do. Stanza 1 goes from verse 1 down through verse 5 of of this Hebrew song of rejoicing. Uh, Stanza 2 is verse 6 down through verse number 8. And stanza 3, one we'll be focusing on tonight, is verse 9 down through verse 12. Let's just run back through for a review, and let's look at uh, the first two stanzas. Stanza 1, we notice praise to God for His past Deliverance. Praise to God for his past deliverance. And again, to put this in the proper timeline, this is being written as though the Jews are standing uh, there at the very, very beginning of the millennial reign of Christ. So when we say his past deliverance, we're talking about his deliverance through the tribulation. All right? I gave you an A, B, and a C. We said letter A, devotion to God. Look at the end of verse number one with me. The end of verse 1, they're, uh, they're praising the Lord here. It says, um, Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. You see that there? Faithfulness and truth. What is it that preserved the Jews through the three and a half years of the tribulation, the final three and a half years? It was the faithfulness of God and the truth of God. That will preserve them. And so they're praising God for His Faithfulness, devotion to God. Notice letter B, destruction of the cities. Look at verse 2. For thou hast made of a city and heap, of a defensed city a ruin, a palace of strangers to be no city. It shall never be built. Have you noticed how arrogant mankind is with their technology? Right? We can build these impressive things. Look what we can do. Look what we can accomplish. Well, we build these impressive cities and we build these impressive defense systems. And one day, God's going to take these impressive, technologically advanced defense systems and He's going to, uh, uh, through, the tri- through the seven-year tribulation, the, the seven uh, uh, seal judgments and the seven trumpet judgments and the seven vile or bold judgments, God's going to just turn these cities. He's going to level them. He's going to turn them into nothing. He's going to destroy them. And the fanciest of technology will mean nothing. And then let her see, we see deference of humanity. Look at verse number 3. It says, Therefore, speaking of Jesus at the beginning of his, earth, of his earthly reign here, Therefore shall the strong people glorify thee. 
The city of the terrible nations shall fear thee. We talked about how that the world today hates God and they worship themselves. One day they're going to have no choice but to give God his due, to pay God uh, uh, his homage and show him reverence. And uh, uh, humanity of this earth all will recognize that Jesus is superior, that Jesus is king, and that Jesus reigns supreme. So we saw number one there, praise to God for his past deliverance. Stanza number two, we looked at praise to God for his present disbursement. All right, so um, uh, this uh, chapter, I said last week, I believed to have been primarily written to the Jews. All right, and uh, there were a few reasons why I, I stated uh, my opinion on that. Uh, we looked at a letter A, B, and then C. Letter A, B said celebration relish. Look at verse number six. Look down to verse number six. It says, And in this mountain shall the Lord of hosts make unto all people a feast of fat things, a feast of wines on the lees, uh, of fat things full of morrow, of wines on the lees well refined. And we said that the Jews were known all throughout their culture and all throughout their uh, traditions to be a people who went to feasts. Remember this? We talked about the Feast of Tabernacles. We talked about the Passover Feast. We talked about the, uh, let's see, um, uh, we talked about the, uh, the, the, the Feast of Pentecost, and there were other feasts. And what did the Jews do? Several times a year, they would leave their hometown, and they would travel to Jerusalem, and they would celebrate around a table. They would celebrate having a feast as a people. One day, King Jesus is going to come out of the sky. Uh, he's going to come on a cloud, or rather on a horse. He's going to come down to earth. He's going to defeat the enemies of the Jewish nation. They're going to realize that the one they nailed to the cross is their savior that's setting them free they're going to weep and cry jesus is going to embrace them and then they're going to have a feast of epic proportion as they celebrate their lord and savior as they celebrate king jesus the jewish king letter a we see celebration relished letter b we see covering removed look at verse number seven verse number seven it says and he will destroy in this mountain the face of the covering cast over look at here all people, not just the Jews, all people, and the veil that is spread over all nations. We talked about how that right now there is a veil on the heart of many people, a veil of false religion, a veil of unbelief. Uh, there are a lot of people today that if you go and try to witness to them, they don't want to listen to what you have to say. How many of you have experienced this? You've been stonewalled when you've tried to witness to someone. There's a veil in their heart. One day that veil is going to be removed. By the way, that veil is not there because God puts it there. That veil is there because we put it there as humanity. When Jesus is king, that veil is going to be ripped down. It's going to be destroyed. And everyone on planet earth will know that Jesus Christ is the Lord God of heaven, that he is the king of uh, heaven and earth, and that he reigns supreme. The veil will be removed. The covering will be gone. The disbursement of, of who God is will be well known. Letter A, we saw celebration relish. Letter B, covering removed. Letter C, we see comfort realized. Comfort realized. Look at verse number 8. The Bible says, uh, He will swallow up death in victory. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off all faces. And the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off all the earth. For the Lord hath spoken it. Can you imagine the grief and sorrow that the Jews will feel when King Jesus comes back? Grief and sorrow over repentance of having rejected Jesus as the Christ? You all are aware that if you try to talk to the average Jew about Jesus, they become real feisty real quick. You all are aware of that, right? Uh, they, they, they don't, it's, it's, it's a touchy topic. It's a touch, they don't like to talk about it. Uh, they get, a, 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 not all of them, but those who are true Orthodox Jews, uh, they, will, they will refute that uh, hand and foot, tooth and nail. They don't like it. One day when King Jesus is realized by them as the Messiah, there's going to be tears that are shed. In fact, we looked last week at, uh, let's see here, uh, the passage was in Zechariah. We looked in Zechariah last week, chapter 12, how that they will weep when King Jesus comes out of the sky and they realize the one that have, has hands pierced is their Messiah, is the one that's bringing them deliver, deliverance. 
I really want to drive this home because I want you to understand the emotion that will be felt. For three and a half years, the Antichrist and Satan is going to turn all of culture and humanity on the Jews. The Jews will be living in caves. The Jews will be nomads. The Jews will be uh, on the run. For three and a half years, they will be pursued and they will be sought after and they will be, uh, uh, there will be attempts to kill the Jews by the Antichrist. And after three and a half years of being trapped and, and persecuted and, and tortured and, and God using the elements of planet Earth to help uh, fend them off and defend them, after three and a half years, King Jesus comes back to do what? To set them free. And, and can you imagine a couple of things? Number one, the guilt they're going to feel, feel that they were the ones that put Jesus on the cross. And now he set them free. And there's going to be sorrow there for that. But then there's going to be PTSD in a dramatic way. Why? Because for three and a half years they were tortured. And now King Jesus has set them free. Boy, there's going to be trauma and hurt and pain. And the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 25 here, verse number 8, it says that Jesus will wipe away all tears from their eyes. Aren't you glad we serve a God who knows how to comfort us like no one else? I have folks come by and see me. And, uh, boy, they're, down, down, they're, they're, they're downtrodden and discouraged. I get phone calls and people stop by my office. And um, sometimes I'll talk to someone after church and they've got a tear in the corner of their eye. They're going through a hardship. And one day Jesus is going to wipe all the tears from all of our eyes. How many are carrying a heavy burden right now emotionally? Would you raise your hand? You're carrying some sort of heavy burden right now. You're going through the hardship. There's a, some kind of hardship in your life. One day, the tears that you shed or, or fight back, there'll be no more. There'll be no more. And uh, that's going to be quite a sight when Jesus, the Messiah of the Jews, is finally embraced by the Jews, and he wipes the tears from off their cheeks. So we see uh, stanza number one, we see praise to God for his past deliverance. Stanza two of this song, praise to God for his present disbursement. Stanza three is new territory for us tonight. Let's jump right in. Over the next 30 minutes, we're going to look at a lot of Bible here. Uh, This will be a fun Bible study. Let's notice praise to God for his future dominion. Praise to God for his future dominion. Um, Let's look at a letter A and a letter B on this. And uh, both of these we're going to uh, pursue down to the end of those thoughts and uh, see some good things here. Notice letter A, exalting of the poor in spirit. Exalting of the poor in spirit. Go back to Isaiah 25 with me, and let's look at verse 9. Get your Bibles ready, because we're getting ready to use them, all right? Get, uh, get in the mindset of, of turning to the passage. Don't just sit there and listen. If you have a Bible, please, please, please utilize that this evening. Look at verse number 9. It says, and this is the beginning of stanza 3, And it shall be said in that day, see the future here, It shall be said in that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. And he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now take your Bibles over to Matthew chapter 5. I'm going to make some comments while you're making your way over there. The, the, the interpretation of Isaiah 25 is a Jewish interpretation. I want to be very clear here. The, Isaiah 25 verse 9 is not written to me and you, unless you're Jewish. It's not written to me and you. This is written... Uh, to the Jews, and they waited for the Lord. When did they wait for the Lord? They waited for the Lord while they were being persecuted by the Antichrist and the culture and the kings of the world that were against them. They waited for the Lord. They were struggling, and all of a sudden, their Messiah, their God, came back and saved them from the Antichrist, and they will be rejoicing because He came back and He saved them. That's the interpretation of Isaiah 25, verse 9. Now, an application, an application. We are all waiting for Jesus to come back. Are we not? We're not waiting for him to come back while an antichrist is torturing us. But we're waiting for Jesus to come back while sin and Satan tortures us. And as the church, as church age saints, very, very soon, Jesus is going to come back in the clouds and the trumpet is going to sound. And 1 Thessalonians says the dead in Christ 
shall rise first, and then those that are alive and remain will be called up together to meet the Lord in the air. Now, when I think of this idea of the poor in spirit, those who are poor, those who are suffering, um, exalting, and rejoicing in God, I think of Matthew chapter 5 and what Jesus taught. Look at Matthew 5, and we find what's commonly been labeled as the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. Now, a lot of emphasis on the Beatitudes gets put on the, uh, the action that we're to perform. But I, and we'll look at that a little bit tonight. But I also want you to notice um, uh, the, the attributes, or rather the, um, uh, the promise given to those who hold up their end. All right, look at Matthew 5 and look at verse number 3 with me. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. What is for the poor in spirit? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is going to rule and reign. And who's going to rule and reign with Jesus? The poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Look at verse 4. Blessed are they that mourn. Now think of that in light of Isaiah 25, the Jews mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The tears will be wiped away from their eyes. Blessed are the meek. What, what happens to the meek? They shall inherit the earth. With who? King Jesus, as he rules and reigns. Verse 6, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Brother Owens stopped by my office earlier this week, and we were chatting, and he, he made a statement, and I'm, I'm, I'm probably stealing his thunder. He probably wanted to use this in a future sermon or Bible study. Sorry, Brother Owens, you shouldn't have told me. Um, he said this, he said, um, when you, let's see, when you eat physically, all right, you avoid hunger. By eating physically, you avoid hunger, all right? By eating spiritually, you build hunger. When you eat the Word of God and you drink the Word of God, it creates a desire for you to want to eat more and drink more. You see the difference? When you eat physically, it satisfies hunger. When you eat spiritually, it develops more hunger. If you don't eat spiritually, you're not hungry. How many of you ever gone six months, don't raise your hand, but how many of you ever gone six months without reading your Bible and then didn't have an appetite? to read your Bible. Well, then you start reading it again, and all of a sudden, man, now I have an appetite for the Word of God. You see how when we eat, it develops hunger. And so blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Look back at verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart. Think about this in light of Isaiah 25 and King Jesus. For they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Here's that phrase again, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, speaking of that millennial reign with Christ. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you. Think of the Jews and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. A couple thoughts on this. While I do believe there's a strong application to be made to Isaiah uh, chapter 25 and the Jews as they're going through this horrible time during the tribulation, I think there's also an application to be made to uh, me and you individually and then all of us as Christians corporately. Let me make these two applications. First of all, I believe the Bible teaches through some parables and some teachings of the Lord in Matthew 24 that according to our service to God as His servants on earth, that's going to determine our placement in that millennial reign. You remember the, the, the story of the king who gave out the three sets of talents? Five talents, two talents, and one talent. How many remember the story? You remember the story? You awake tonight? All right, raise your hand if you're awake. Raise your hand if you're asleep. Okay, no hands were raised. Oh, Joe raised his hand. Of course he did. Okay. Um, uh, it, listen, uh, the, the, what happened with that parable, right? Those who had five talents and worked those five talents, they gained another five talents. And uh, the, the, the master said, the Lord said, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. Uh, I, I, I'm going to make you, uh, I'm going to make you, uh, rather I'm going to reward you and give you more. The same with two and then the one had it taken away from him. Now watch this. Those of us here, and I'm speaking on an uh, individual level here. Those of us here who take our Christian faith seriously, we work to be 
poor in our spirit and, 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 and we have a self-awareness of our own sin and a realization of how wicked we are and how holy and righteous God is and we're working hard to be poor in spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those of us that work hard and we, we have sorrows in life and we mourn over our sin and the sin of our nation, uh, we're going to be comforted. I believe that all of these verses apply to us individually. Let me make a corporate application. Christians are one of the most persecuted people groups in the world. In the world. Now, I'm not talking about the good old U.S. of A. All right? Persecution of Christians in the U.S. of A. is being called a name at work. It might even be getting fired at work. Being persecuted in the Middle East for being a Christian is having your head chopped off. And it happens all the time. Little girls who are... Uh, in Christian families, get 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 uh, kidnapped and they're sold as slaves. Horrible things are done to these little girls. That's persecution. And we don't really. Can, can I just say this? Are y'all awake tonight? And I'm not just speaking. Are your eyelids open? I mean, are you awake to this point? Are you aware at how persecuted most Christians in this world are? I think as Christians, we're asleep at the wheel on this. I don't think we're aware of how easy we have it. We complain about our aches and pains and little transitions that take place in our life. And uh, we, uh, we wring our hands. And listen, I understand. I do too sometimes. There are people in the Middle East and in other parts of this world who are on the run for their life because they're a Christian. Christians are persecuted. One day in the heavenly kingdom, Christians will no longer be persecuted. It won't be unpopular to be a Christian. It will be popular to be a Christian. One day, corporately, Christians are going to be placed at the head of leadership of this world. Instead of being stepped on, the world will be our footstool. And it will be turned around. The exalting of the poor in spirit. Well, let's look at this thought a little bit deeper. Turn over to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation 19 and look at verse number 5. Revelation is before the book of Concordance. All right? You get to the book of Concordance, you've gone too far. You get to the maps, you've gone especially too far. While I'm in the book of Concordance myself. Um, uh, Re- Revelation 19. I'm seeing if you all have any humor tonight. I'm trying to be funny and you all are just sitting there like, what? The book of Concordance, right? Someone one time, they, they wrote one of their opinions down in the front of the leaf, uh, fly leaf of their Bible. And uh, they said, you know, they wrote down, cleanliness is next to godliness. And they said, my Bible says, amen. Well, their Bible did say, because they wrote it down in the fly leaf of their Bible. So, if you want your Bible to say, then you can just write something down in the fly leaf. And Anyway, Revelation 19. Look at verse number 5 with me. Uh, uh, and we see, we'll read down through verse number 9. The Bible says... And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all ye his servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of many thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife uh, hath made herself Ready, and to her was granted that she could be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the uh, for the fine linen is the righteousness of what's that last word? Saints. This is the church age saints. Who is the bride of Christ? It is the church. It is the redeemed church will be taken to heaven at this point will have already gone through the judgment seat will have been made ready and pure and whole and we will be presented as the bride of christ i cannot wait to see brother sean in a white dress in heaven amen you're going to look amazing brother sean um, we're going to be the bride of christ in heaven and uh, listen uh, we're going to rule and reign with christ the poor in spirit those that were stepped on on earth will be exalted look with me at verse number 11 verse number 11 it says and i saw heaven open and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful 
and true. And in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as flames of fire. And his head were many crowns. And he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. This is the garment we're given at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Who is it that comes down to this earth with planet Jesus, uh, planet Earth with Jesus? Who is it that's exalted? Uh, it is the, the the church age saints. It is those who rejoice. Now, there's some debate in question uh, based on Revelation chapter 20 on who it is that will rule and reign with Christ. Look with me at Revelation chapter 20 and uh, look with me at verse number one. The Bible says, "We'll read down through verse four." And I saw an angel come down. From heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand, and he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years shall be fulfilled, and after that he must be loosed a little season. Look here at verse 4. And I saw thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. Who is this talking about? Who's going to reign and rule with Jesus? Well, based on this verse, it's talking about those who are martyred during the tribulation. You see, when Jesus comes back to rapture the church, there's going to be a whole bunch of people left here who realize that the Christians were right. The church was right. The Bible was true. And a whole bunch of people are going to get saved. Listen, there's going to be a a salvation revival that's going to sweep across this country like has never been seen before. Some of you here have family and loved ones who you've witnessed to. And they've not gotten saved. I, I'm going to give you my opinion here. All right, And there are people that disagree with this opinion. And I can go toe-to-toe with any of them, and I think I can stand my ground pretty well. But I think that when the rapture happens, a lot of the family and friends that you've witnessed to, I think a lot of them are going to get saved. I think a lot of them are going to go, Oh, wait. My cousin was right. My son was right. My brother was right. Oh, man. Uh, I don't believe that they were abducted by aliens. I believe that Jesus came back and got them like like they said. There's going to be hundreds of thousands of people, if not more, that get saved. And then you're going to have 144,000 Jews that get saved and go around and proclaim the name of Jesus, and even more people are going to get saved. And then you get to the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation where the mark of the beast begins to get forced on people. And then you're going to have a whole bunch of people who don't take that mark and because they're saved. By the way, if you take the mark, you're going to hell. And you say, well, why is that? Because if you let Satan put a mark on you, then in essence you are saying, I belong to Satan. No saved person is going to let Satan put his mark on them. Those that don't take the mark, many of them are going to be beheaded and murdered and martyred. And uh, listen, uh, this passage right here says those are the folks that are going to rule and reign with Jesus. And if you're like me, you think, well, well, what about us? We're not going to be there. Well, i got good news for you. Turn back to Revelation chapter 5. Look at verse number 9. They'll rule with Jesus. Those of us who are in the rapture will get to rule with Jesus too alongside of them. Look at verse 9. The Bible says, and they sung a new song, uh, saying, and, and again, by the way, the background here, the church has been raptured, the church is standing in heaven, and uh, Jesus, the Lamb of God, is getting ready to open the title deed to earth, and the church here, the church age saints alone are worshiping the Lord in verse 9 and 10. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seal thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Look here. And hast made us. Who is us? This is the church age saints. Hast made us unto our God, kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. We're not left out either. We shall reign on 
the earth. We see here Isaiah 25 lays out the exalting of the poor in spirit. But Isaiah 25 does not just end with those who God exalts. It also talks about those who are embarrassed. Let her be notice the embarrassing of the proud. The embarrassing of the proud. Go to verse number 10. Isaiah 25 and verse number 10. We've got a lot more of the Bible study to go here. And I'm, I'm really excited about, but what, about what we're going to uncover and share. Look at verse 10. The Bible says, For in this mountain shall the hand of the Lord rest. So where is this mountain? This is Mount Zion. This is Jerusalem. This is where Jesus will rule and reign. He will rest. Look here. And Moab shall be trodden down under him, even as straw... No, this is very graphic. Even as straw is trodden down for the dung hill. Now, question. Get your wheels turning here. Why is Moab mentioned in this passage? Out of all nations, Moab, by the way, isn't even really a nation right now. There's the, the region where Moab was, and uh, another, another nation is there. But why Moab? Anybody have an idea? I'm going to tell you what I think. Okay, this is what I think. I'm stating this is what I think. Moab, anytime you find Moab in the Bible, Moab is mentioned about its pride. I think what's going on here is the Lord Jesus Christ will rule and reign and he will trounce down those who on earth who are rebellious of him, toward him and are living in their pride. I don't think Moab so much represents a nation as it does a spirit or attitude left on earth. I could be wrong on that, uh, but, but that's my thought. Look at verse 11. So we see that he's going to trod them down, even as straw is trodden down for the dunghill. It gets more graphic in its language. Verse 11, And he shall spread forth his hand in the midst of them, and he that swimmeth spreadeth forth his hands to swim, and he shall bring down their pride. Moab Pride uh, together with the spoils of their hands. He said, just as you stomp and stomp and stomp a dunghill to get it lower and lower and lower, and you put straw, dung, straw, dung, straw, dung, you stomp it down, you stomp it down, you stomp it down, it gets to a place where you need to go create a new dunghill. Now you picture someone going through that dunghill and with their hands, like a swimmer underwater, scooping that out of the way. The Lord's going to come through the dung of pride, and like a swimmer, He's going to scoop it out of the way. He's going to trot it down and then he's going to push it out of the way. Verse 12, in the fortress, the fortress of the high forts of thy wall shall he bring down, lay low, and bring to the ground, even to the dust. Jesus Christ is going to set up a government system on this earth where he will be the judge, jury, and executioner, and he will bring peace to this earth by destroying the proud, embarrassing the proud. Uh, turn over with me to Joel chapter number 3. I, I really want you to see what, what, what we have to look at tonight. I think you're going to have a fresh perspective on some passages of the Bible that maybe you've not had before. Joel Chapter number 3. By the way, if you are at home watching this uh, and you've been leaning on the uh, verses coming up on the screen, uh, I may encourage you to go find a Bible real quick because we're going to get into Matthew 24 and 25 in a, in a moment. And I just made the decision earlier today to not have uh, all of these verses up on the screen because it would just be too, too much to be thrown up there. So go get a Bible if you have one at home there and you're watching and, and uh, be ready for that. Joel 3, okay? Look at verse number one. All right, it says, For behold, in those days, and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will also gather all nations, and will bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and will plead with them there for my people, on behalf of my people, and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations and parted. My land. What is going on in um, Joel chapter three? Well, what this this passage takes place at, when Judah and Jerusalem are set free from the captivity of the Antichrist. All right, watch this. Jesus Christ comes down. He fights the battle of Megiddo. We we read the beginning of that in 
Revelation 19, where he's got the, 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 the robe dipped in blood. Uh, he's got crowns on his head. He's got a name written on his chest that only he understands. He opens his mouth and swords come flying out. Listen, DC and Marvel can never come up with a superhero that is more powerful and more great than Jesus Christ will be on that day. He is the hero of all heroes. And he's going to come down and he's going to wipe out the, the enemy. And then Jesus is going to take the leaders of the world and he's going to bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat. Joel chapter 3 tells us. Now where is the valley of Jehoshaphat? It's interesting because we know where the valley of Jehoshaphat is. There is in Jerusalem you have the Temple Mount and then you have the Mount of Olives. If you're standing on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem, you can look and see the Temple Mount. If you're standing on the Temple Mount, you can look over and see the Mount of Olives. In between the Temple Mount and the Mount of Olives, you have a valley. Because you have a mountain and a mountain, you have a valley. And that valley is called the Valley of Jehoshaphat. So Jesus is going to go to Megiddo. There in Jerusalem, he's going to face the Antichrist, he's going to wipe them all out, and then he's going to gather, Joel chapter 3, he's going to gather uh, the, the leaders of the world, he's going to bring them in the valley, and he's going to judge them based on how they handled uh, the children of Israel that were scattered all around the world because of the terror of the Antichrist. Look down at verse 12, Joel 3 verse 12, let the heathen... Uh, be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat, for there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Wow. Jesus Christ, King Jesus, as he's setting up his earthly reign, he's going to bring all the kings of the world in this valley and he's going to judge them. He's going to make a decision on whether they are cast into outer darkness and hell or they're allowed to enter into the, the millennial kingdom. Now, Turn over to Matthew chapter number 25. I hope what I'm doing tonight is I'm giving you some really good perspective on some New Testament passages that are misinterpreted and misunderstood, especially this one. Matthew chapter number 25. I should have brought my other Bible because I had it marked. I meant to bring that. Um, let's see. Brother Joe, you can get in my office, right? Can you get my other black Thompson chain Bible off my desk and... Run that in here. Okay, I'm going to, uh, while he's doing that, I'm going to explain to you. Look at Matthew chapter 24. And look at verse, uh, the very beginning of the chapter here. Verse number 3. And as he sat upon the Mount of Olives, the disciples came unto him privately, saying, Tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the signs of thy coming and of the end of the world? The disciples want to know about end times. How many of you here have some form of curiosity about end times? All right. I hope you do. The rest of you don't. Let me ask you again. How many of you have interest in end time events? Okay. So the disciples did too. They were curious. They wanted to know what was going on with the end times. And so they asked him, and Jesus answers their question. Thank you for the Joe. Matthew 24 and 25 have been a riddle to try to be figured out for a long, long time. Now, I think I have the riddle solved. I didn't solve it. I, I read this out of a commentary. I've read many commentaries about Matthew 24 and 25. One commentary I read, I said, that's it right there. That solves the riddle. Here's the thought, all right? Uh, God has dealt with the world. Please listen. God has dealt with the world uh, in three different stages, okay? Watch this now. Uh, and they're in 2,000-year spans. From the inception of planet Earth in Genesis 1 up through the flood, uh, or rather up through Abraham, God worked with the nations of the world. You with me? He worked with the nations of the world. When he chose Abraham uh, uh, to, to, uh, to be uh, the one he, through, who, through whom which he would send the Messiah, uh, for the next 2,000 years, God worked with the Jews. The Jews. The last 2,000 years of history, God has worked with the church. So you have the nations of the world, you have the Jews, and you have 
the church. Matthew chapter 24 lays out for us the, the nations of the world with end time events, the church with end time events, and uh, the, the church with end time events. Now Matthew 24 tells us what will, uh, rather, uh, how things will be. Matthew 25 tells us the consequences or how they will be judged. Let me get this other Bible open here. Let me show you how this works. I'm going to give you the verse markings and we're going to read a couple verses and then I want you, if you can, to study this at home. From verse 4 through verse 14, Jesus is answering the question about end times as it pertains to the nations. If you want to make a mark in your Bible, put four and put a line at 4 and 14 and write nations. All right, 4 to 14 the nations. Let me give you a couple of examples. All right, look at verse number four with me. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many, and, and ye shall hear of wars and rumors of wars, and see that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Look here, for nation, nation shall rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom and there shall be famine and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places this is speaking of what will happen during the seven year tribulation as it pertains to the nations of the world look down at verse number 14 and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world in all the world for a witness unto all nations nations and then shall the end Come And so, 4 through 14, uh, we're addressing the nations. From 15 down through verse number 31, uh, uh, the Lord is addressing Israel. The end times as it pertains to the Jewish state. Let's look at a few verses here. Look at verse 15. When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation, spoken of Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whose, uh, whoso readeth let him understand, then let them which be in Judah. Notice this is addressed to Israel. Judah, flee into the mountain. Let him uh, which is on the housetop come down to take anything out of his house. Neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. And woe unto them that are with child and them that give suck in those days. But pray ye that your flight be not in the winter, neither on the Sabbath day, a Jewish holiday. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world uh, uh, to this time. No, nor even shall be. And except those uh, days should be shortened, there should be no flesh uh, be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. There, then, if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or, or, or here, or there, believe it not. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and um, uh, it shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Behold, I have told you before, uh, wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert. Go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers. Believe it not. For as the lightning, uh, come, lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even into the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherefore the earth, um, for wherefore the carcass is, there shall the eagles be gathered together. What's this talking about? This is talking about that abomination of desolation. That's the three and a half year mark. We know that from Daniel chapter 9. Now, the Jews go into hiding. There's going to be all these uh, attempts to draw them out of hiding by saying, look, here's Christ and there's Christ. And he's saying, no, Christ is going to come back in the clouds. Uh, so we have the nations 4 to 14. We have uh, Israel 15 to 31. And then from 32 to the end of chapter 24, 32 to 51, we have the church. In times as it pertains to the church. Let me give you therefore. Let me give you a couple of examples. Look, look down at verse number forty-two. It says, "Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come." That's speaking of the rapture. That pertains to the church. But know this: that if the good man of the house had come in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered the house to be broken up. Therefore, be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not. The Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant? That's language pertaining to the church. Whom his Lord hath made ruler over his house, uh, over his household, to give them meat in the season. So four through fourteen is the nations during the tribulation. Fifteen through thirty-one is Israel. The last half of the tribulation. Thirty-two through fifty-one is 
watching out for the rapture to occur. Now let's turn our attention to chapter 25, and we see the consequences given out, all right, to those three groups. Now, 25 is laid out a little bit different, and this is going to help explain a lot of misunderstanding about the parable of the kings. All right, we're almost done. Look at, from verse 1, I'm going to avoid a lot of reading. You can look at this on your own. 1 through 13 is written to Israel. 1 through 13 is written to Israel. You want to mark that in your Bibles and look at it later. I encourage you to do that. 14 through verse 30 is written to the church. 14 through 30 is written to the church. There's that parable about the, uh, about the Lord going into a far country and giving the talents. Okay, um, uh, 14 through 30 is the church. 31 through verse number 46 is written to the nations. Now, this 31 through 46 is written to the kings that will be judged in the valley of Jehoshaphat. All right, let me show you. Now, remember, we looked at Joel chapter 3, and we saw the kings of the earth being brought down in the valley to be judged at the end of the battle of Megiddo. All right, now look at Matthew chapter 25, and look at verse number 31. When the Son of Man shall come in His glory. What glory? We looked at that in Revelation 19. And all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And behold, Him shall be, gathered, um, uh, uh, shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth the sheep from the goats. So, He's in the valley of Jehoshaphat. He's got the nations of the earth. He's come in His glory. Look at verse 33. And He shall set uh, the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say to them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom, prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me, and naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous, the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? Notice the answer, and notice who it is that gives the answer. And the king, this is King Jesus setting up his reign. The king shall answer and say to them, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye have done it, unto one of the least of these, and highlight these next two words, my brethren. Who are these brethren? These are the Jews. These are the Jews that were persecuted during the tribulation. Those kings of the earth that looked after the Jews while the Antichrist was torturing them, those, uh, those kings will be allowed to enter into uh, uh, the millennial reign. Why? Because they accepted God's people, and by accepting the Jews, while it was not popular to do so, they accepted Christ. They, the, the action of their faith was displayed in taking care of the Jews. It isn't humanitarian uh, uh, causes that save us. It's, it's, uh, this passage applies to the nations of the world that took care of the Jews during the tribulation. Now, let's keep reading. We're almost done. Uh, verse number 41. Then shall he say uh, also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed and everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was in hunger, and ye gave me no meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me not in. Naked, and ye clothed me not. Sick and in prison, and ye visited me not. Then shall, they, uh, uh, then shall also, they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee in hunger, or a thirst, a stranger, naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister unto thee? Then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as ye did it not to one of the least of these, ye did it not unto me. And they, these shall go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This is addressed to the nations of the world, those that accepted and helped the Jews during that time of torture, uh, they will be accepted into the kingdom. Those who did not will be condemned to hell. I hope that gives you a better understanding of Matthew 24 and 25. Here's the end point. The proud, those that bow up against God, those that uh, stand up in their pride and follow Satan, who is uh, the, the leader of all proud, will be thrown in everlasting fire and be punished. And uh, I would encourage you tonight to continue to wait on the Lord. Continue to be faithful. Continue to do what's right because Jesus is coming back and we want to be caught serving Him and not slacking. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll be dismissed. I encourage you to jump into Matthew 24 and 25 on your own and look at those in greater detail when you have time. If you have questions about it, 
or would like to discuss it with me, I'm always up for that. I enjoy that kind of thing. Well, let's pray. We'll get out of here. Brother Sean, why don't you close us in prayer?